Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. Katie's to my left. Ellen's to my right. Stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> That's the cheerleader in her, folks. I'm n- I was never a cheerleader. I don't know why that just happened. Um, you always wanted to be one. I didn't, though. Is it just a hidden talent? Well, okay, no, that's not entirely true. I used to be on a swim team in the summers, and my friend and I would write cheers and do our cheers Ah. for the swimmers. So maybe I kind of did. I don't know. I never, I I was a gymnast, but I never, ever tried to become a cheerleader. I was was not, I was not cool enough. You weren't, I was in drama club. I was too. Anyway. Moving on. Just keep rolling. Let's roll right into our rolling rehash. In our last episode, we compared Chapter 6 of Sorcerer's Stone, the journey from Platform 9 and 3 quarters, to with the corresponding film scenes. We saw Harry get on the train to Hogwarts and the introduction of the Golden Trio when he met Ron and Hermione. We talked about how we didn't really get to meet the Weasleys in the movie and that they delayed the introduction of Neville and Malfoy. Our theory is that this was to put more emphasis on the Golden Trio. They arrive at Hogwarts and we get our first glimpse of the castle. During episode 6, Neville Malfoy Sandwich, one of our Potter ponderings was to wonder if Molly was being purposefully loud to help Harry figure out how to get onto platform 9 and 3 quarters. We've had several really good responses from listeners in our Facebook discussions and Twitter discussions about this. Mm-hmm. Um, several people just thought that Molly was just loud. One of my favorite comments for that was um, from Stephen who said, being number five of seven, I can see a lot of my mother in Molly Weasley or a lot of Molly Weasley in my mother. I'm not sure which. <laughs> he spelled it W-I-T-C-H, which is fun and punny. Um, and then he said, but from my experience, Molly was probably just keeping the herd informed. Which is, I mean, that would go with Molly pretty well. Um, a lot of people also said that they thought that Molly was being purposefully loud and that's where we got our theory was from a meme that i found on tumblr yeah we're gonna share that up on facebook and twitter so that you guys can just see the meme for yourself because it's kind of long yeah Um, but it's it's like someone's delightful headcanon that they wrote out about how that happened involving um molly ushering her kids past harry numerous times times. yeah Yeah. numerous times because harry's uh, not the sharpest Cran in the box, you know. He tends to be a little thick. Sometimes it takes him a while to pick up on things. Yeah, we love him though. Yep. Our other one was why is Ron allowed to bring scabbers when the letter specifically says owl or a cat or a toad? Is this just an oversight on J.K. Rowling's part or do you think there's a specific reason? Some people thought it was more of a consideration to the Weasley's family because, you know, they didn't have that much money and probably couldn't afford an owl or a toad or a cat. <laughs> yeah, and other people pointed out that they don't really like it when the, when people talk about the Weasleys being so poor that the only person who really does that is Malfoy. Yeah. Who actually has a lot of money. So comparatively speaking, sure, they might look poor, but they just have seven kids. Yeah. Like, they obviously make it work as well as they can. Right? My favorite response also came from Stephen who said um, Hogwarts might have had some experience of pet rats being eaten by the owls and cats. Oh, so, I like that. Yeah, so he thinks they intentionally left the rats off and said, shame it never happened to Wormtail. <laughs> Which, uh, thank you so much for responding to these questions because that was pretty hilarious. Very good point. I like that. Yeah. We also had quite a few people say that they just thought that Scabbers was grandfathered in since he once belonged to Percy. And we know that Percy would never break the rules. Well, I mean, technically, he's not an owl, a cat, a toad, or a rat. He's a man. A man! (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's not allowed at all. I mean, the letter doesn't say anything about being allowed to bring your man to school. No, that'd be weird. Oh, that would be weird. Oh. Maybe we should just keep rolling. Let's keep rolling. 
Our trivia question last week had nothing to do with men. It was, who was the Hufflepuff ghost? With the code word badger. If you answered the fat fryer, then you got it. Who technically is a man. Oh, shit. Yep. But anyway, congratulations goes to Mike Hansack, our very own Nick Fury, who knew the fat fryer was the Hufflepuff ghost and gave us the code word badger. And let's just keep rolling into chapter seven. The Sorting Hat and the Corresponding Film Scenes. Chapter 7. The Sorting Hat. The door was opened by a tall, stern-faced witch in emerald green robes. Professor McGonagall led the first years into the large entrance hall with torch-lit stone walls and a marble staircase. She leads them into an empty chamber and welcomes them, explaining that before they can take their seats in the Great Hall, they need to be sorted into their houses which will be like their families while they are there. The four houses are Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin, each with its own noble history. Triumphs will earn house points, and rule-breaking will lose house points. At the end of the year, the house with the most points will win the house cup. McGonagall tells them the sorting ceremony will take place in front of the whole school and recommends they smarten themselves up beforehand. She leaves to get the ceremony started, and Harry and the first years all wait nervously. Then, several people scream when about 20 ghosts came right through the wall, arguing about peeves, until they notice the first years waiting to be sorted. The fat friar says he hopes to see them in his old house, Hufflepuff. McGonagall returns and takes the first years to the Great Hall to be sorted, where they see all of the other students and teachers. McGonagall puts out a stool and an old patched and frayed wizard's hat. Everyone turns their attention to the hat, which starts to sing about how it can look into their minds to determine which house they should be in. It sings that Gryffindors are brave, Hufflepuffs are loyal, Ravenclaws are wise, and Slytherins are cunning. Ron is relieved, but Harry is still nervous about trying it on in front of everyone, afraid the hat won't put him in any of the houses, and he will have to go home. McGonagall begins calling students alphabetically. Hannah Abbott and Susan Bones are both put in Hufflepuff. Terry Boot and Mandy Brocklehurst are sorted into Ravenclaw. Lavender Brown becomes the first Gryffindor, and Millicent Bulstrode becomes the first Slytherin. Justin Finch Fletchley is put in Hufflepuff. Seamus Finnegan gets sorted into Gryffindor, as is Hermione Granger and Neville Longbottom, who the hat took a long time to decide on. Malfoy immediately gets put in Slytherin. Several other students were sorted before finally getting to Harry. When McGonagall announces Potter's name, whispers broke out all over the Great Hall. When the hat starts talking to Harry about where to place him, Harry keeps thinking, not Slytherin, not Slytherin. The hat tells him he'd do well in Slytherin, but Harry is insistent, so the hat puts him in Gryffindor. Harry joins the Gryffindor table, where Percy shakes his hand, and Fred and George yell, We got Potter! Hagrid gave him a thumbs up from the high table and Harry recognizes Dumbledore sitting in the middle of the table, as well as Professor Quirrell, who was looking very peculiar in a purple turban. Ron is then sorted into Gryffindor. After the last few students are sorted, Dumbledore stands up to say a few random words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Thank you. Which prompts Harry to wonder if he is mad. Percy tells him that he is the greatest wizard ever, but is a bit mad, and then offers Harry potatoes. Harry realizes the table is magically covered with all of his favorite foods, and it's the first time he has ever been able to eat as much as he liked. As he eats, he talks with the Gryffindor ghost, who Ron recognizes as nearly headless Nick. Dessert is served, and the first years talk about their families. A sandy-haired wizard, Seamus Finnegan, is half and half, to his muggle father's surprise. Neville lives with his gran, and his family thought he wasn't going to be magic enough to get in. Hermione and Percy are talking about lessons, and Harry looks around the Great Hall. He sees all the teachers talking, including Professor Quirrell talking to a man with greasy black hair, a hooked nose, and sallow skin. The man looks right at him, and Harry feels a sharp pain in his scar. He reaches for it, and Percy asks him what is wrong. Harry says nothing and asks him about the man talking to Quirrell. Percy explains that it is Professor Snape, who teaches potions, but has always wanted to teach defense against the dark arts. Dumbledore concludes the meal and makes an actual speech, informing students that they are to stay out of the Forbidden Forest, no magic is to be used between classes in the corridors, Quidditch trials will be held in the second week of the term, and the third floor corridor on the right-hand side is out of bounds for anyone who does not wish to die a very painful death. 
Harry is one of the few people who laughs, prompting him to ask Percy if Dumbledore is serious. Percy says he must be and wonders why he didn't at least tell the prefix. Dumbledore then leads everyone in the school song where they all sing it to a different tune. The other teachers don't seem to like this tradition very much, though Dumbledore seems delighted by it. He sends them off to bed and the first-year Gryffindors follow Percy up the staircase, past moving and talking portraits, through hidden doorways, and up more staircases before they were blocked by a poltergeist named Peeves. Peeves taunts the first years until Percy threatens to tell the Bloody Baron. They reach the end of the corridor, and a portrait of a fat woman in a pink silk dress asks them for the password. Caput Draconis. The portrait swings open to reveal a round hole that they all go through to find themselves in the Gryffindor common room. Percy directs the boys and the girls to their separate dormitories, and they all go to bed. Harry falls asleep at once, but has a very strange dream about wearing Quirrell's turban. It tells him that he should transfer to Slytherin at once. Malfoy laughs at him and then turns into Snape, and the laugh becomes high and cold. There's a burst of green light, and Harry wakes up sweating. He rolls over and goes back to sleep and forgets all about the dream. In the movie, Professor McGonagall welcomes the first years to Hogwarts and informs them that they will be sorted into their houses and join their classmates. She tells them that the houses are Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, and Slytherin, and are like their family. As she is explaining the house points, Neville sees his toad and loudly exclaims, Trevor! Interrupting her. She tells them the sorting will begin soon and walks away. A blonde boy speaks out to confirm the rumor that Harry Potter has come to Hogwarts is true. He introduces two other students as Crab and Goyle, and himself as Malfoy, Draco Malfoy. Ron sniggers, and Draco turns to him to call him out on being a Weasley, using him as an example of the wrong sorts of wizarding families Harry shouldn't be friends with, and offers his hand to Harry. Harry looks at it and says, I think I can tell the wrong sort for myself, thanks. McGonagall returns and leads the first years into the Great Hall, where there are four long tables, floating candles, and a ceiling that, according to Hermione, is bewitched to look like the night sky. The teachers sit at the head table at the back of the Great Hall, and in front of them sits a stool with an old wizard's hat on it. McGonagall says Professor Dumbledore has a few words to say before they begin, and the headmaster stands. He says that the Dark Forest is forbidden to all students, and also shares that the caretaker, Mr. Filch, has asked him to remind them that the third floor corridor on the right-hand side is out of bounds for anyone who does not wish to die a most painful death. Professor McGonagall explains that she will call their names and they will put the sorting hat on their head to be sorted. She reads Hermione Granger's name first and she is sorted into Gryffindor. Draco Malfoy is next, and before the hat can even touch his head, he is sorted into Slytherin. Susan Bones, a red-headed girl, is called next as Harry notices a dark-haired wizard staring at him from the head table. He feels a pain in his scar as Susan is sorted into Hufflepuff. Ronald Weasley is called and the hat acknowledges him as another Weasley and puts him in Gryffindor. Next, McGonagall announces Harry Potter, and he nervously makes his way to the stool. The hat sees his courage, not a bad mind, talent, and a thirst to prove himself. Harry begs not to be in Slytherin, even though the hat says he'd do well there, and places him in Gryffindor. The Gryffindor table bursts into cheers and applause. The Weasley twins chant, We got Potter! We got Potter! And Dumbledore raises a goblet in Harry's direction. McGonagall asks for everyone's attention, and Dumbledore announces the start of the feast. Food appears on the tables, and everyone digs in, making small talk. Harry asks Percy who the dark-haired wizard is, and learns that it is the potions master, Professor Snape, and that he has been after Quirrell's job for years because he prefers the dark arts. Ron is reaching for another chicken leg, and a ghost pops out of the chicken, greeting them and welcoming them to Gryffindor. More ghosts float into the Great Hall. One with a sword is acknowledged as, as the Bloody Baron. Percy greets the Gryffindor ghost as Sir Nicholas, and Ron identifies him as Nearly Headless Nick. Hermione wants to know how he can be Nearly Headless, and the ghost tilts his barely attached head off to the side. Percy leads the first-year Gryffindors to the Gryffindor Tower, warning them to keep an eye on the staircases as they like to change. The camera pans up to seemingly endless staircases that are rotating. As the first-years walk up the stairs, they notice the portraits moving. They arrive at a portrait of a woman in a frilly pink dress who asks for the password. Percy says, Capit Draconis, and the portrait swings open, revealing the Gryffindor common room. He gathers them around and explains where the dormitories are, 
and that they will find their belongings already there. As the first-year Gryffindor boys sleep, Harry stares out the window and strokes his owl. So this chapter and section of the movie starts out with Professor McGonagall explaining about the houses and the sorting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, note the side-eye from her when she talks about Slytherin. She's I love like, her facial expressions. You know, I do too, but... And then Malfoy's, Don't be a dick about my house. Malfoy's total smirk when he's just like, that's where I'm going to be. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, that's where we are. Yup. Yeah. As we mentioned in the last episode, getting a clear cut to the parallel film scenes was a little more difficult this time around. Uh, the movie kind of mixed things that happened in chapter six into what happened in chapter seven, such as when Neville finds his toad mm-hmm. uh, and when Harry officially meets Malfoy. Yeah. Which I always kind of wondered why Malfoy introduces Crabbe and Goyle before he introduces himself. Well, I always assumed that it was because, like, they're his opening act and he's the main, he's the headliner, you know? Oh, yeah, they're like the appetizers and he's the main course. Oh, there you go. I like that. (laughs) This is also one of my favorite examples of Sassy Harry. Mm. When Malfoy is just like, I can help you there. And Harry just looks at his hand like, what? Like, yeah. I think I can tell the wrong sort for myself, thanks. Right? And then and then uh, McConnell comes in. She, like, interrupts them, just about ready to throw down. Which is kind of sad because in the... And I guess not really sad. Who cares that much about Scabbers? But in the book, yeah. the throwdown <laughs> was interrupted by Scabbers biting Goyle's finger, which is the one useful thing Scabbers ever did. Right. And so in the movies, Scabbers is just 100% useless, aside yeah. for being, you know, a MacGuffin. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Sure. <laughs> the book also mentioned that Harry had never been more nervous, even when he had to take a report home that he had somehow turned his teacher's wig blue. And I always really liked that because... It shows that Harry accidentally did the spell that you mentioned last time that Ron was meaning to use with his stupid poem, trying to turn Scabbers yellow. Calavaria. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Um, Also, in the book, the Sorting Hat gets to sing a song, but not in the movie. No, he didn't get a song in the movie. He did get, like, a pint of whiskey, though, because that Sorting Hat sounded drunk as fuck. Oh, my God. Like... Gryffindor! Like, come on. When he's like, when he's talking to Ron, he's like, another Weasley. You're right, he kind of does. Oh, dude, he sounds, he sounds like he's I mean, he's a hat, what else does he have to do? And you know Dumbledore's got the good shit up in his office. Well, yeah, that's true. That's probably super true. But still, like, Rafflepuff! <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's slurring all his words. <laughs> but you know what? That's what happens when your song gets cut. Yeah. You turn to the bottle and it's just sad. It was just sad. He had to drink away his sorrows. Mm-hmm. Plus, let's, let's just talk about the things he might see inside these students' heads. I, how many times do you think he's gotten lice? Right? Ooh. That would suck. That would make me drink, too. So, also in the book, the sorting was done alphabetically. Yeah. But in the film, Hermione was sorted first. Yeah, because, well, you know, fuck the alphabet. <laughs> we don't care about the alphabet. Fuck that. Um... Only Hermione Malfoy, Susan Bones, yeah, um, Ron and Harry are seen to be sorted in this film. Although I'm sure others were sorted after Harry, they just don't show it. Yeah, well, Susan Bones uh, was played by Chris Columbus's daughter, Eleanor Columbus. So I like to call her Nepotism McGee. Yay, if Nepotism! You don't mind. Like honestly, <laughs> she was also the only American in the film because yeah. Well, I mean, technically, his his other daughter was also. Um, they were one also of the, the only Americans in the film. Is, I'm just saying, it always kind of irritated me that she was so random. She was just like, "Here's all of our main characters and, and a random redheaded girl, like and Susan Bones and Susan Bones, who has no lines and is just there looking scared the entire time." I, I would imagine that would be kind of intimidating, both being a wizard about to be sorted and being the one American girl <laughs> that clearly got the job because her daddy is the right. film director. Right. Like, I'm not judging her, you know. I'm, if, oh, she was if, adorable. And I'm not going to lie, if my dad was she directing totally looks Harry like a She's so cute. Yeah. But if my dad was the director, I would be whining nonstop until I got... Yeah, a, if, a, if my dad was cameo. the director, I'd have to be in it, too. Right? I'd be like, I'm Hermione, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
let's yeah. just keep rolling. Yeah. <laughs> so also in the novel, after the sorting, Dumbledore stands to say a few words and he comically utters nitwit, oddment, blubber, tweak, thank you. Mm-hmm. And then after the feast is when he gives his actual start of term speech. Yeah, this is different in the film because instead of the random words before the feast, Dumbledore gives the start of term notices before the sorting even happens. And this is one of those, like, it's a kind of a minor instance, but why movie Dumbledore is not my favorite. And again, that's not the actor's fault. Yeah. It's, it's just... how he was written. It's how he was written. Um, but I loved his random... Yeah. ...quirks. I loved... The fact that he's like nitwit, oddment, blubber, tweak. Like, yeah, four words like, that make absolutely no, no sense. sense. He's like, I'm just going to say a few words. And he literally just says a few words. And it's ridiculous. And he's mad. And, like, it's the classic gag. And there's genuinely a fine line between insanity and brilliance. And mm. I love that Dumbledore dances on that yeah. in the books. And in the movie, I feel like that got completely lost. Yeah. He's much... Plus... He's much more like in, solemn. Yeah. Even. In the book, when he does actually give his real speech he says now that we've all been fed and watered and yeah and just everything <laughs> about dumbledore is peculiar and delightful and that was absent from the movie yeah i, I like i can't think of any times that he genuinely delighted me with his oddities yeah not i mean he he was endearing but he wasn't yeah. he didn't have that entertaining crackpot kind of yeah the crackpot old fool vibe yeah really didn't come through at all um but you know in both the the book and the movie uh professor dumbledore says that the forest is forbidden you know unless it's for detention (laughs) right we'll be talking more about that one later because that's super ridiculous but uh harry also learns that the slytherins go bad from hagrid when he's in diagonally in the book Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the film, he learns it from Ron during the sorting ceremony. We already talked about that a little bit, how it's not all Slytherins. No, it's not. But. No, it's not. But Hagrid Hagrid makes mention to it, but not a mention of a house, where he's like, you know, not all wizards are good. Right. He says that in Diagon Alley, but he doesn't say, like, oh, yeah, the Slytherins always, if, they're, if it's a bad wizard, it's a Slytherin. Right. You know, Ron says that, which it kind of feels more like a Ron thing to say. Yeah, I I wouldn't disagree with you there. I mean, he's in a family of Gryffindors. They're not the most popular of the purebloods because of how they feel about. Muggles yeah, they probably get a yeah. lot of shade from Slytherin, and that's gonna, oh yeah, that's just going to add to. Well, the... I mean, we saw that in the in the on the stairs with with yeah. Draco. Oh, and for sure too, you know that Arthur Weasley is going to be like anti Slytherin. Oh like, yeah, because he actually was around the first time around when all of the Death Eaters were basically Slytherins. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got his eye on Lucius. And yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Got, he's got all that's, their numbers. That's, that's, some, that's some learned opinions there. Right. From, from Ron. Right. And, I mean, it doesn't... He's got so many older brothers. Every one of them probably had a bad run-in with a Slytherin. Probably. So they probably all, you know, I wouldn't yeah, be surprised I, I, if they were know, sitting there... Talking about it, I don't really have a problem with them giving that line to Ron. Yeah. I think I think it kind of suited, you know. I mean, I feel like I feel like Hagrid saying it is more. I mean, in the book, Hagrid ended up saying it because Harry was just like, "I'm going to end up in Hufflepuff." Yeah. And Hagrid was just like, "Well, better that than Slytherin." Well, but see, Hagrid shouldn't be playing those kind of favorites. Like... Why not? Hagrid was Gryffindor. I know Hagrid was Gryffindor. He probably had run-ins with Slytherins, but too. Hagrid, but Hagrid's Because Gryffindor and Slytherins are typically, like... I just... I get very irritated at the adult shade Is Hagrid that really an gets. adult? I mean, literally, he's an adult. He is literally an adult. He's a staff member. He becomes he, a he teacher, becomes for a God's sake. Member. Yes. No, he's a staff member right now. Kind of, sort of, Keeper yeah. of keys. Yeah, that's, yeah, okay. That's staff. That's, that's sta- totally staff. That's, I'm yeah. dumb. That's staff. I know. That's why I said it. And this is why nobody likes Slytherins. Did you hear that? That was mean. You know what? You haven't seen mean. <laughs> you haven't seen it? I have, but I don't want to again. So mm. we're just going to keep on moving. There you go. Let's just keep rolling. Let's segue right into another minor difference is Percy Weasley's lack of glasses. 
Yeah, so when I was in Ironton's Wizard Fest back in November, Chris Rankin was the celebrity guest there, and I, I got to meet him. Yeah, really you awesome. know what? But uh, during his in. panel... He, during during his what? His panel. Oh, panel. Yeah, during his panel. <laughs> I keep hearing penal. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> during his panel. There you go. <laughs> he brought up why he didn't get to wear glasses, even though Book Percy did. So mm-hmm. he literally was just like, I think he kind of hermione on this himself. He like went up to the director and was just like, Percy's supposed to wear glasses. Where are my glasses? Like, mm-hmm. like he's in there getting his costume on and there's no glasses. But um, the director specifically said that he wanted Harry to be the only person in glasses so that Harry would stand out more. So even though Percy was always described as being in his horn-rimmed glasses, (laughs) he didn't get to wear them in the movie because he'd look too much like Harry Potter, apparently. Apparently. It's the red hair. (laughs) Hey, wait, Harry doesn't have red hair. Yeah, that's why it's a joke. Huh. Oh, is it? Is that why it's a joke? You laughed. It's out of pity. Anyway. Goodness. <laughs> She's extra slithery today. I am. I'm a little ornery. In addition to the film, never mentioning Hedwig's name, Sorcerer's Stone also doesn't tell us Miss Norris's name. We do learn it in a later film, but for this one, we just know that Mr. Filch has a cat. We just see... Miss Norris, yeah. like, hanging out by She's his, feet his feet in the Great Hall. Um, the only reason we know Filch's name is because Dumbledore mentions it in his speech, saying that Filch asked him to make the notice about the third floor corridor, being out of bounds to anyone who does not wish to die a most painful death. And then we get that excellent shot of Harry with his face like, the fuck kind of school am I going to? <laughs> right. Everybody like, else just looks totally normal, and he's yeah. just like, what? Yeah, Ron's just like, oh yeah, that seems totally... That's reasonable. That's totally reasonable, sure. I should have the fear of dying at school. And Harry's like, the fuck? Yeah, the movie makes it sound like that it's always off limits. Whereas yeah. in the book, Dumbledore specifically states that this year it's out of bounds. And he says that Filch asked him to remind the students magic isn't allowed in the corridor between classes. Okay. So I don't know why they had that to... That would make more sense. Yeah, I don't know why they had to change that detail. Because Filch has nothing to do mm-hmm. with the third floor corridor on the right side being out of bounds. Like, that was clearly Dumbledore's decision. Yeah, and and like I said, the way, the way Dumbledore said it was... Uh, Mr. Filch would like uh, like me to remind you. Right. That... that makes it sound like it's been out of bounds before, but it has not. Yeah. Because we learn later that the Sorcerer's Stone is what is hidden there. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't get put there until that year. Yeah. So why is it a reminder? Yeah. It shouldn't what? be. It's I not... don't understand why they have to change those kind of details. They could have introduced Filch and... It would have taken the exact right. same amount of time. It's all the same. It, it doesn't... Just... Yeah. It just makes me feel like... Whoever wrote the screenplay didn't read the book properly. (laughs) And I just have to add, in the book, Harry specifically notices how peculiar Quirrell looks in that purple turban, which implies that he was not wearing it in the Leaky Cauldron. Even Mm -hmm. though the movie had him in it, he should not have been in the turban in the Leaky Cauldron. In the movie, I'm just saying. And he should have shook his hand in the Leaky Cauldron as well. He should have shook his hand. Yep. I'm just saying. I think partially too though i think that might have been because there's really not a lot of stuff with quirrell in the movie there's not that much like we don't there's no classes there's no so i think would he have been recognizable had he been no no turban with turban yeah maybe i guess i don't know i still don't like it i don't i'm not saying i like it i'm just saying that that's possibly what the thought process was Was because he's not, we don't really, this is the only, that's the main time you establish his character before the big reveal at the end. They could have made a specific comment about him being in the turban or something to specify that. And maybe that just seemed like too much work. I don't know. Maybe they didn't think it was that important. I don't know. It bugs me. I don't like it. In a weird way, I almost kind of liked the foreshadowing of him not being able to touch Harry in the leaky cauldron. Like, I know that's not, I won't win the book. I know. Well... I know Voldemort wasn't possessing him at that time. There's no reason he wasn't he shouldn't supposed have. to be. Well, yeah, yeah. There's no reason he should have been like not like holding back from shaking his hand or anything. But 
I kind of liked that. Like, I kind of liked... Yeah. Where at first you're just kind of like, ooh, that guy's weird. Yeah. And then at the yes. end, at the end, the big reveal happens. And you're like, oh shit, that's why. I still feel like there's, it could have just been done better. I mean, I think that we can both agree that all of this could have been done better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit of why we're here. Yep, that's that. That would be that would be accurate. <laughs> Let's just keep that rolling. being said. That being said. You know, the scene with uh, Nearly Headless Nick stayed pretty consistent to the book. Um, Except, um, this is one of the first instances where movie Hermione starts stealing other people's lines from the book. I I feel like we need to, like, point out every time she does this, because it's a thing. You know what? I have no problem doing that. (laughs) Because it's one of my biggest pet peeves. Right. how many lines Hermione got. It's like, oh, somebody said something smart. Give it to Hermione. Like, yeah. The thing is, Hermione has plenty of her own good lines. Right, and I love Hermione, but I don't, I never needed her to have extra lines. Yeah. She's, she's already a great character. She doesn't need to take greatness from others, too. See, and I'm not, I'm... Like, and I can kind of understand, you know, she says the nearly headless, how can you be nearly headless? Which was supposed to be Seamus Finnegan's line. Mm Mm-hmm. And I kind of get why they gave it to Hermione instead of letting... Seamus say something because Seamus is not really that important to the story he is a background character yeah they're trying to give more attention to the trio they've been doing it by only having those three be the ones on the train that talked and like they took Malfoy out they took Neville out of the train scene so like obviously they're just trying to put more like Ron recognizes him as nearly headless Nick Hermione asks how you can be (laughs) nearly headless it's just it's all about the golden trio and that I mean, that's the money maker right there. So it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I wish. And she did sound adorable saying it. Like, obviously, she we did. imitate it all the time. Right. She did. I, I kind of wish we would have heard it with, with Seamus' little Irish accent, though. That's true, too. As oh, my, that could have been fun. As my little Irish homie, I have to, like, I have to come to bat for him. Right. Like, I, I really. Because, let's be honest. Like, his, 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 my dad's a muggle. Mom's a witch bit of a nasty shock for him when he found out is possibly like my favorite yeah line it's pretty great and it would have been fun to hear him say that i i bet you anything because he had to have been a fan that read the books Mm -hmm. i bet you anything there is a recording of him saying it somewhere because he knew that it was supposed to be his line i bet it exists i would like that that'd be fun um in general even just be fun sorry i think it would even just be fun if we had like all the all of the original actors, if they did like a radio play of. Oh, they did that the with books. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And they yeah. had sound effects and everything in the yeah. background. It was like the original BBC broadcasting. It was really fun. Yeah. I would love that as, as like a Harry Potter. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. They're all anyway. grown. It wouldn't work quite that well now. Wishful thinking. Once puberty set in and all. Right. <laughs> anyway, in general, the ghosts played less of a role in the film mm-hmm. and they omitted peeves the poltergeist completely sadness they did film peeves though with actor rick mail um who was he was drop dead fred for anyone who saw that movie i would have loved to see that that footage has got to be out there somewhere you know what that's what i want to happen they Hmm. should get all of the original footage that was shot for the movies and edit them back together correctly you know, you they, know said, they filmed a lot more things. Well, they've said that the the original director's cut of Sorcerer's Stone was actually like three hours long. Right. I want to see that. Yeah, I want to see, see that. Release that. That would, oh, release that in the theaters, make all of the money. Yeah, right? Like, come on, WB, you know you like all of the money. Right? Like, I know a lot of people said that they had to cut peeves out because of the CGI not being just right. I mean, the other ghosts looked just fine. I also heard that it was because... The kids were having a really hard time keeping a straight face watching his antics when yeah, yeah. Rick they Mayle, were supposed to be scared. Rick Mayle said that in an interview, too, when he was talking about him his part getting cut. But actually, there was a um, an interview with Chris Columbus, who he said um, that it was really hard for him to cut Peeves because it was actually his favorite character. Chris Columbus, like, really loved Peeves. But he said, uh, we needed to cut something because the film was close to three hours. Nobody would have minded, We would have watched it three hours long. Legit. Anyway, he continues by saying, he was going to be a completely CGI character, and that saved us a considerable amount of money, but also created a considerable amount of heartbreak. 
the footage exists, so there's potential that someday we could put it back together if people really were that interested. Hello? Yes, we are. We are that interested. Come we on. Are absolutely that interested. We want that footage, guys. Yeah, it would have been so much fun because they, they climb all those staircases and then get blocked by peeves carrying all, it's like the floating walking sticks. Like, right? I wanted to see that. Yeah. He's such a little turd. I wanted to see that. I know. And the, the staircases were amazing. Those were CGI. We did those just fine, didn't we? But those were, like, so cool. They remind me of um, a level on Mario Brothers. Oh, yeah, I can see that. You know? <laughs> just, like, going all over the place. and Or looked... an MC Escher picture. Oh, yeah, definitely. Totally looks like that. And did you see the look on Harry's face when he saw all the endless staircases? He's just like, oh, my God, that's hella cardio. <laughs> Which is actually another difference, because in the book, they said there was 142 staircases. But in the movie, there was way more than that. Yeah. Although, I mean, 142, that, that's enough for me. I, that's still too many. <laughs> like, that's a lot of fucking staircases. That is a lot of fucking staircases. I wonder how many stairs that actually is. Because it doesn't say how many stairs there are in each staircase. Oh, Lord. I don't even want to know. Helicardio. I've, I'm having a heart attack just thinking about it, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Let's just keep rolling. <laughs> so one other thing that I wanted to talk about, the difference from the book to the movie and then a fun little story that Chris Rankin shared with us as well. Um, oh, hey, did you meet him? I think I think you might have mentioned that. Once or point. twice a Once minute. Or twice. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like Percy the Prefect in his badge. <laughs> but yeah, so Percy the Prefect leads them up the stairs and to the fat lady and they say the password. Caput Draconis. <laughs> and go into the Gryffindor common room. He directs them to their dormitories. And um, in the book, Harry falls right asleep. He's super tired. Yeah. And but then, in the movie, he's like ch- up chilling with Hedwig. Staring out the window. Yeah, yeah. staring out the window, pet- petting his owl. Which Staring out the widow. <laughs> you know what? Shut up. Let's give me your chance to fix it. I don't want to. <laughs> staring out the window, petting his owl. Petting his owl. Who doesn't we, have a name. <laughs> that we do not yet know is named Hedwig. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in between those scenes in the movie, there was actually a part when they get to the common room where Neville has once again lost his toad. Okay. And he's like, has anyone seen my toad? And um, Percy, Chris Rankin, has the poor toad in his pocket for this scene. He said they had to do it like take after take after take. Oh my and God. And when toads get scared, they pee. So he like well, so do reaches... I. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but he reaches in his pocket and pulls out this toad, and it has to be like face down and backwards, so that when he pulls it out, it's facing the correct direction. Oh, gosh. And it's like so he's got this toad in his pocket and gives it to Neville. And so after... toad's probably dizzy and shit, too. right? <laughs> so the poor toad and poor Chris Rankin getting peed on, and like they go through this and they shoot it multiple times, and they spend like a better part of it, of the day working on it, and then when he sees the actual movie the scene's not in it and why chris Chris says that he asked the director like what happened to that scene we spent so long working on it well as it turns out neville has such an uh, matthew lewis has such an accent that when he says has anyone seen my toad it actually sounded like has anyone seen my toad oh god (laughs) and they couldn't they couldn't have neville asking if anyone's seen his turd that's probably a good call so apparently that's why that scene got cut and i just thought that was funny and wanted to share that with y'all now did they they i mean did did an american have to point that out to them yes it was definitely an american that pointed that out they said they had like an american they had american um american screening oh like a screening okay uh but we're gonna use this god how much would you love to have been part of that Ooh yeah I don't, I don't know what just happened. I just sounded like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah, like the sexy Kool-Aid man. What was that? I don't know. Jeez. Anyway, let's just keep rolling. Um, we're going to just segue into talking about our actors. And our first one is Matthew Lewis. So, Yay, Matthew And his turd. And his turd. Yeah, Matthew Lewis played Neville Longbottom. And I thought he did a great job. I thought so, too. I thought he really, like, pulled off the kind of... I, he was a little bumbling, forgetful, mm-hmm. and, like, yeah. didn't come across very powerful. 
He was a little bit of like the friend that you were you were afraid to be put into a group project with because you're like, well, I'm gonna have to carry that one, right? You know, but but he he brings I mean, something he totally to the table. blossoms, and we're gonna talk yeah. more about that later. But everything that I thought Matthew Lewis did for the character was perfect for Neville. Mm-hmm. I think I felt like as an actor, he grew with the character too. Yeah. Yeah, as as the books go on, we'll discuss more about Matthew Lewis and his acting and how it progresses in the future. Yep. Let's move on to Tom Felton as Malfoy. Let me say this as this little shit. Nazi von Douchebag the <laughs> second. This little shit. He he did a very convincing job as an asshole. He really did. He had that sneer down. And the haughty voice, my father will hear about this. Like, yeah. everything that he said was just total Nazi von douchebag the second. Yeah, for sure. And it, you really just, you kind of hated him from, from right away. Which just means he did his job it's, well. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's... This is another character that we'll talk more about him in future episodes yeah. as we watch the character develop and age... And same with the actors, I think we'll be revisiting this with most of the child actors because they do change a lot. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, and that's... their characters change a lot as they grow up because they go from being eleven to seventeen for a lot yeah. of them. Yeah, and that's a huge adjustment. That's a huge um, period of uh, growth and struggle that really changes the characters that they're playing and the actors themselves. Both are yeah. going through things. I agree. You know? And so we'll explore that more as the books and the series goes on. So we're obviously. We also met Josh Hardman as Goyle and Jamie Waylett as Crab. Yeah, like they didn't say anything, but they had no lines. But you you saw the interactions they had with Malfoy. And they totally looked like his Boulder bodyguards. Like, yeah, pretty so. much. I mean, and we'll be talking more about them when they start to have lines. And there's also some switcheroos around later in the series with the characters and the actors. So yeah. we'll, we'll mention that as we get to it. Yeah. But they looked the part. They did. It worked. They did. You know who else looked the part? David Bradley as Filch. Holy fuck did he look the part. Right? Filch? David Bradley was amazing. I mean, he's amazing in everything I've seen him in. But he plays the greasy kind of... Yeah. Angry guy. Very well. He, he like, submerges himself in that role. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd recognize him if I saw him on the street. Yeah. I I find, when I see him in in films where he's not that surly kind of character, I don't know what to do. You're like, what's (laughs) happening? Yeah. I'm like, he's very good in those roles as well, but it's... Any moment he's going to be an asshole. Yeah, it's just, it's just so, it's almost unnerving, because you're like, but you're so good at being a dick. He's so good at it. Yeah. I, and he doesn't really have a lot to do in this scene either. He just, you, like, he just gets the camera pan, Filch and the cats. Yeah, that's So we'll be it, talking but... even more about him as yeah. he starts to do stuff, too, because he's got some absolutely delightful moments. He does. And sure. I, I use delightful in a, as fans, we find it delightful yeah. to see it come alive, <laughs> not that he is, in fact, delightful. Yeah, for sure. Um, we also had, you know, a little brief intro to John Cleese as Nearly Headless Nick. Oh, I love John Cleese. And I, that, I feel like that was just perfect casting. I mm-hmm. wish they had let John Cleese do more. Yeah. Like, that could have been beautiful. And Nearly Headless Nick barely featured after this scene. Yeah. Did he at all? Um, there's the, there's the part in the hallway when he's yeah. talking about Harry yeah, being he a new barely, seeker. Yeah, he barely got anything. Like, but that's that was, it. Yeah, he yeah. could have done so much with that. And that's not his fault. No, it really isn't. But well, I, I would have loved to see more of what John Cleese could do as Nearly Headless Nick, just because I think he's fabulous. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you there. Um, speaking of fabulous. Speaking of fabulous. Fabulous. <laughs> We're not even going to actually talk about him right now. We just have to mention him. Yeah, we have to we have to bring up Alan Rickman as Snape. We love him, but we will get to him yeah, he did not get to do Later. anything. Well, I mean, he did get to do his, like, beautiful Snape glower, but yeah. in the next episode, he we talk about his potions class and his amazing entrance, and we just really want to focus on yeah, he really, Alvin Rickman and all his... He really shows off his acting chops oh, in that one. 
love it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to say that. But he was in this scene. He was mentioned. He was introduced. So Yeah, he was. Um, also, um, as just a side note, um, we also had Elizabeth Spriggs as the fat lady. For this which, film. For this film, yeah. Um, she gets replaced later, and kind of thank God. Um, she no, wasn't bad. Nothing against her. It was, no. Again, I, I really feel like we can blame this on the director. But I think she should have been more whimsical. Yeah. So. And and funnier. But again, she wasn't given book. that opportunity. Yeah. She, she was just kind of severe mm-hmm. and boring. Password. Pause. Yeah. That's it. Pretty much. But not her fault. No. That no, was no. what she was given. Yeah. They'll switch it out later and we'll talk about it more then. So those were our actors. Um, and now we're going to move on to our Potter Ponderings. Sounds good to me. Our first one this week um, is, what are your thoughts on the obvious bias of staff members against certain houses, namely Slytherin, but also Hufflepuff, meaning um, that there's the side eye that McGonagall gives when she mentions Slytherin. There's Hagrid saying that Slytherin's the, you know, all the bad wizards come from Slytherin, and that Hufflepuff is just a load of duffers. I mean, he doesn't... He doesn't necessarily feel that way, but he... He did reference it, so why reference it if you don't kind of agree? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, why would you even bring it up then? Our other question is, what do you think about book Dumbledore versus movie Dumbledore? Which do you prefer and why? I've obviously made it very clear that I prefer book Dumbledore over movie Dumbledore, but I also know that there are a lot of people that don't like Dumbledore at all. So this can involve that as well. But I am specifically asking about how I feel like a lot of Dumbledore's eccentricities have been completely omitted from movie Dumbledore. And those were part of my favorite thing about him. So we want to know what you think about that and the obvious biases from staff members or adults about Mm -hmm. the Hogwarts houses, specifically Slytherin and sometimes Hufflepuff. Yeah. But you can go ahead and you can hop on our Facebook page at JKR Podcast or Twitter at Just Keep Rolling and answer those questions. We'll post them up there for people to start a nice conversation about them. So we love hearing from people. Yeah, we've been getting some great responses for our other Potter Ponderings, and we are excited about that. So yay, please join us. Thank you if you have already. Mm-hmm. And share your thoughts with us. It yeah. gives us more to talk about, and we love that. And we also love to hear if you have any Potter ponderings of your own, too. Yes. That's always fun. If anything in these chapters, listening to us or just in general, pops up, even if it doesn't have to do with the chapters that we're on, by all means, post it. We'll save it for later. For sure. Definitely. But yeah, thank you to everyone who's been engaging on these posts with us. We are really enjoying reading your responses and getting your input. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that'll bring us to this week's Sorting Hat story. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited about this one. I'm very excited. Uh, this is from Val Crick. And Val is uh, one of our teammates. She is. She has been on our... She's been a very a very important cog in our trivia machine, really. Um, but Val writes, I'm a Slytherin. My Patronus is a tortoise shell cat. More cats. More cats. More cats. All the cats. She loves cats, too. She does, but she's allergic, too. So there's that. She is allergic, but she will still go to a cat show. Yeah, she doesn't care. (laughs) It's one of the things we love about you, Val. Um, Anyway, her Patronus is a tortoise shell cat, and my wand is chestnut, 13 and a quarter inches, with a dragon heartstring core. Hard flexibility. That's, that's, I'm just going to laugh at that now. (laughs) (laughs) My muggle job is middle school Spanish teacher. And I just want to jump in right here and tell you guys all that she has green hair. Like she is super Slytherin. It looks Mm. amazing on her too. Yep. She's my buddy. (laughs) My Slytherin sister. I'm sorry. I apologize (laughs) for all of that. Anyway, for my ninth birthday, my aunt and uncle gave me a copy of Prisoner of Azkaban. They heard Harry Potter was pretty popular with the kids, but not anything else. So they bought me Azkaban thinking the books could be read in any order. (laughs) I love that. After a little bit of research, we figured it out, and I was soon the proud owner of the first three all at once. I read them so fast, there was true heartbreak when I got to the end of Azkaban and there was nothing left. I pre-ordered Goblet of Fire from kind of an obscure FYE-type store in the mall, 
and called every hour on release day to see if their stupid slow shipment had come in yet. All of my friends were into it, and it was just so much fun to talk about. We loved the movies just as much. Every time a new book would be released, I would reread the whole series again in anticipation. Every time the movies were on ABC Family, that's what I was doing all weekend. I cried through a good portion of both books and movies 7, just realizing how beautifully J.K.R. tied all of these things together from years past. When I was first sorted into Slytherin, I was honestly a little disappointed. I always saw myself as a Ravenclaw because I love a good witty comeback and was always proud of doing well in school. But through Pottermore and the Wizarding World, I have realized that I am definitely Team Green. Witty comebacks, statement hair, not much of a hugger, and a well-crafted CV are all boxes checked on my Slytherin bingo. (laughs) (laughs) I love the self-care for Slytherins you posted because it really does speak to my soul. I am so happy to know you guys and get invited to witness and be part of your trivia domination. Very rarely contributing by identifying a photo of Colin Creevy, making eye contact while writing HP pickup lines, or similar. I thought I was good, but you guys are killing it. Can't wait to hear more of your thoughts. I'm so glad she mentioned her Harry Potter pickup lines. <laughs> because this girl won us some extra points with her pickup line, If you suck these knuts, I'll make, make your, your canary, canary cream. cream. We love her. We just love her All so of the much. other pickup lines involve something about Slytherin or your chamber of secrets. Usually both together, yes. And it was Slytherin to your chamber of secrets. Exactly. But Val's? It was very tiring. And then Val's was like a breath of fresh air. Yes. In a weird, creamy sort of way. way. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you would like your Sorting Hat story shared in a future episode, don't forget to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, your wand, the wood, core, and length, your Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share. And that brings us to this week's trivia question. Where do you find a Bezoar? If you know the answer, head to our Facebook page at JKR Podcast and find the post. Comment under the post with the answer and the code word POTIONS. The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word will get a Bitch is a Witch, Mafuckers a Wizard, or a Just Keep Rolling sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. Take a screenshot and email it to justkeeprolling at gmail.com and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. If you don't want to be that extra, you can just email us and say, Hey, I reviewed you. Check it out. Yeah, and, and tell us your what name and tell it's us under. what name it's under, and we'll <laughs> we'll believe we you. will we will accept that as well. Yeah, uh, we just <laughs> want to make sure I mean, we're totally checking our reviews to see if we get any. So we'll see it if you do we, it. We love reviews. We really do love them, and they're they're very helpful to get our name out there. So any help we can get is always appreciated. Right. Not to <laughs> mention we we love knowing what you guys think. Yeah. So and we need feedback. We do. You know? We want to make this as good as we can. For sure. If you do have constructive criticism for us, like feel free to email us that and not <laughs> leave it as a review. <laughs> but we will happily take that seriously and do what we can to try and improve because we want to make this as good as we can. We really do. And don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook. Again, that's JKR Podcast. And Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Also, if you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. Yeah, any support you can give, also greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 8, The Potions Master, and the corresponding movie scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.